0: See everybody. First off, happy Father's Day to all of our men out there. You know, we uh, we really want to take a second and just honor and respect all of our men. You know, Father is such an important title that God, when he wanted to describe his relationship to us, he chose Father as how he described himself to us. And so if it's that special to God, it should be special to us. And I just want y'all to know that your families are celebrating you and we here at Ramsey Heights are celebrating you. We would have had a little celebration this morning, maybe some food and some gifts gifts like we did last year, but we discussed it and since we missed Mother's Day and we weren't able to honor the mothers in the exact same way, men, I'm sorry, you're, you're not as important. If we can't take care of mamas, we're not going to take care of daddies, but, but just know that we do honor and respect and celebrate you this morning. We're, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1 if you want to turn there. I've got a question for you today. Uh, most of you go to church on a pretty regular basis, is that right? <laughs> Okay, good, so that's good to know that I'm, I'm talking to a bunch of Christians out here. H- have you ever been in a church service, and, and this message you can just it, you can just tell it's different, like like for the first time, the words are just rolling off the page, and the spirit is moving in the building and, and you know that conviction and grace is just flowing throughout the building. You guys know what I'm talking about? those messages? Some of you are saying, "No, Brian, I go to your church. I never hear those messages." Well, anyway, you know what, you should know what I'm talking about. You know, when those messages come along, there, there's really only one thing to do. And whether it's during invitation time or in the middle of service, have you ever felt yourself just drawn into prayer in that moment, or where you're just like, you know, God, I feel I feel you moving, and I feel you working. And and God, I just I need you to know what's on my heart right now, God. This message is so full of conviction, and God, I just I just need you to make sure that. My spouse is listening because they're so bad at this. That ever happened to y'all? Why do we do that? Why, why do we hear messages and we automatically ascribe them to somebody else? If it's not our spouse, if it's not our brother or our sister, or somebody sitting across the row, it's somebody that should have been here this morning to hear that message. You guys ever do that? Just me. Okay, well, I need to repent, I guess. Anyway, I think that we really do that. And what makes us do that? What makes us sit through sermons week after week after week and tell ourselves that is aimed at somebody else instead of being aimed at us? Well, I think the answer is that it comes from a heart problem. And we're going to call that heart problem today hard-hearted. That's a biblical term. It's a biblical concept. In the book of Exodus, um, in the book of Exodus, God is trying to get Pharaoh to let the Jews go and he's telling them again and again, I am God. I have the power. I have the control. Let my people go. And the, and the Bible tells us that Pharaoh, his heart was hardened. And that means that the words of God come and they bounce off your heart and they're rejected. And, and we might say, well, we would never do that. But I think sometimes we do have this hard-hearted heart problem. We're, we're in a series right now called Going Through the Motions and we're really addressing are we truly pursuing God or do we just kind of just kind of do church? Do we just kind of do faith and do Christianity? And, and I think that if we're honest with ourselves I don't know if it's a cause or an effect but if we find ourselves just going through the motions as a Christian it's going to be related in some way to being hard hearted. That the words of God come to us and, and they bounce off of our hearts and that's what we're going to look at today is, is being hard. Hearted when God sends us instructions. Now, the problem with this is we never grow, we never change, and we're just content. And last week in the uh, book of Matthew, chapter 21, we introduced some characters that are the embodiment of hard hearted. If you guys remember last week, we talked about Jesus Christ coming into the temple and he saw all of these people buying and selling, making money, and people that were just going through the motions. It was just a habit for them to come to church. And Jesus walked in and he said, I reject your empty hearted actions. And he He threw them out of the temple so that the undesirable people could come in that wanted to reach Christ. The problem with this was that the chief priests, the people who were in charge, they didn't like Jesus doing this. And and so they kind of started to question him and had this discussion with him. That's where we were last week and we're picking up that story now at Matthew 21. This is the following day. Jesus has left the temple and he's came back and he's going to teach. So let's read uh, 21 verses 23 through 27. And when he was come into the temple the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said by what authority dost thou these things and who gave thee this authority and Jesus answered and said unto them I also will ask you one thing which if you tell me I and likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things the baptism of John whence it from heaven or from men and they reasoned within themselves, saying, if, you, if we shall say from heaven, he will say unto them, From heaven, I'm sorry, he will say unto them, Why did ye not believe them? But if we shall say of men, we fear of the people. For all hold John as a prophet. And they answered Jesus and said, We cannot tell. And he said unto them, Neither tell, you, tell I you by what authority I do these things. So, Jesus has come back into the temple. He's teaching the next day, and this crowd is gathering. If there's one thing we know about Jesus, it's that everywhere he went, he was like a magnet. People were pulled to him because of the spirit he had and because of the things that he could do. As people were pulled to him in the temple, the chief priest came up to him, and they interrupted him. Like, that's rude, right? Like, Jesus is teaching, he's obviously doing something good, he's got this, and they come up and interrupt him. Now, we're gonna stop right there. Who interrupts Jesus? Who would dare walk up to Jesus in the middle of him teaching and say, um, you need to stop? Oh, this man heals sick people. This man teaches the Bible. This man is pulling people into, into the temple that would have never come to worship God. I gotta put a stop to that. Who, who would do that? And it's people that are somewhat, at the very least, they are hard-hearted, Now, the reason we've discussed this, that these people are put into the Bible, is to give us a picture of what we can become if we become religious elites. If we just go through the motions, and if we just do the actions, and if we just do the right things, our hearts can be hard, and we can do the exact same thing. And so they come up to Jesus, and they ask him a question. Let's talk about this question. It's one of those trick questions. you guys ever been asked a trick question? you've ever sat through Larry's Sunday school class, you get like 20 of them, don't you miss Donna? Like they're they're all over the place. Trick questions that has no right answer. It's like a, a heads I win tells you lose situation. And they come up to Jesus and they say, by what authority do you do these things? That, that is a dumb question if I've ever heard one. Uh, Jesus, I see that you're healing people. Who told you you could do that? Who told you you could teach in this temple? And who told you that you could cleanse this temple? But they ask him that knowing that there was no right answer. See, Jesus has one of two answers he can either say nobody I decided to do it in which case they can kind of write him off and they can say look this Jesus is a nobody or Jesus can answer if they're lucky he can say well God told me to do it and by the way I am God and then they have reason to call him a blasphemer and crucify him and so they're hoping to get him in this no right answer situation where they can come in and hopefully accuse him of blasphemy but I want to look at what they asked him. It's interested in how they challenged him. They didn't come up to Jesus and say, Hey, are you really, are you really healing people or is this all a show? You know why they didn't ask him that question is because these blind people and these these people that hadn't been able to walk and people healed of leprosy, you know what they were doing? Every day they were running through Jerusalem. Guess what Jesus did? There was no denying that Jesus was really healing people. They didn't come up and ask him, are you sure you're teaching the right things? Because Jesus' teaching was unquestionable. They couldn't even question what he was teaching. So they ask him, the only question they could ask him, they ask him, by what authority do you do this? Who gave you permission to do all of these things? Why, why is it that you can come in here? Are you sure you really have a right to do that? That brings us to our first take-home truth up here on the screen. Hard-hearted people prioritize procedure over people, the hard-hearted prioritized procedure over people, they were so focused on the rules that they missed the changes in people. People are coming to Christ. people are coming to God. people are learning and they were so focused on, are you following the rules they missed what Jesus Christ was doing for people there they didn't even have a heart. I would say that the entire little bit or the entire point of this message is the hard-hearted have their priorities out of whack to some degree. And so if we're going to identify if we are hard-hearted, I think that a lot of times it's going to be attached to our priorities. Do we prioritize people or do we prioritize procedures? Which one is more important to us? If Jesus Christ was working in this church, would we turn him away because he wasn't following the rules? And so this morning I asked Ramsey Heights and, and I've asked myself all week, what truly are our priorities? Do we have the heart of Jesus or do we have the heart of the chief priests in the the way that they go about things? Now bear with me here because I've had these conversations before. Hypothetical. You guys know what hypothetical means? Some of you were laughing, you said yes, and some of you have no, it it means made up. Made up question here, there's a church down the road, and and this church, this church is growing phenomenally. People are coming to Christ in droves. They they had to baptize like outside, like drive through baptisms almost, because they've got so many people coming to Christ. People are learning, the parking lot is packed every day, and we can't find anything wrong with them. What happens to Christians when that happens Sometimes. Maybe it's jealousy or maybe it's just the fact that we wonder why it's not happening here and it's happening there. We start to question procedures, don't we? We, we start to ask ourselves, well, are they really doing it right? Uh, sure, there's lots of people coming to Christ. And sure, lots of people are becoming disciples and really learning, but uh, they're an old-fashioned church. In this day and age, an old-fashioned church is never really going to do the work of God for very long. We question procedures when the actions are in front of us. Or or we say, you know what I heard about that church down the road? The music is too loud. That's why everybody goes to that church. The music is too loud. They're not even going for the right reasons. It's, It's because the music is too loud. We might question their procedures when it comes to the preacher. Well, nobody actually wants to go to church and hear a preacher preach. If he's got that many people coming, he's obviously not actually teaching the Bible because nobody wants to hear the Bible. So it must be something the preacher's doing wrong. Or, or, or we question so many different things. What 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 are they dressing like? How's their Bible translation? You know what I heard about the church down the road? They are a Maxwell House Coffee Church. I'm so glad that God put me in a Folgers coffee church the truth of it is is that all of those procedural questions are just as silly to Jesus Christ as the coffee question. Because he is not worried about procedures. He's worried about people. See, the problem is, if we are hard-hearted, we will place emphasis on procedures that don't matter to God. And that is what was wrong with the people, uh, with the chief priests here. They came to Jesus, they didn't have anything to say bad about what he was doing, but they said, how are you doing it? Are you doing it correctly? And if we're hard-hearted, we have the heart of the chief priest when we start asking about procedures. Now the problem with that for a church and the problem with that for me and the problem with that for you is that the Bible continually puts the chief priest in stark contrast against Jesus Christ again and again and again. And you want to know why? It's because Jesus Christ's heart was the exact opposite of the chief priest. When the chief priest prioritized procedure over people, Jesus prioritized people over procedure. And that's why they hated him. That's why they crucified him. Because he went against their customs and he went against their rules. And he put people first. See, Jesus Christ would heal people on the Sabbath. He would walk up to somebody who was blind or lame or had leprosy and he would heal them. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the chief priests said, you can't do that on the Sabbath. This is a day of rest. You can't heal people. That's against the rules. And Jesus Christ tells them, your silly rules don't mean anything to me. This, this individual means something to me. They would come up to Jesus and, and they would tell him, you can't just walk up to lepers. We have rules in society. A leper has to cry out unclean and people have to stay away from him and that's just the rules of the society. And Jesus would walk up to a leper in their face and he would hug them and he would heal them. He would embrace them. When, when everybody else said that's against the rules, Jesus said that individual is more important to me than your procedures, When people said that only well-trained Jewish men could be leaders of a religious movement, Jesus went out and he found thieves and common fishermen and he said, I'm going to put you in charge of the biggest religious movement that ever happened on this earth. When I leave, when I'm crucified, when I ascend to heaven, you commoners, You sinners, you're going to be in charge. I'm I'm leaving you with the responsibility. And and the chief priests and the Pharisees and Sadducees, they say, you can't do that. And Jesus Jesus dined with undesirables. People who sold their body for money. People who robbed others, tax collectors, thieves. He sat down to supper with them and the chief priest said, you can't do that. It's against our rules. Just by being around them, they will make you less unholy. And Jesus said, I choose to make them holy, not let them make me unholy. See, he rejected procedures again and again and again. And here is the biggest procedure that he rejected. Jesus Christ rejected the procedure that you get what you deserve. Because when the rules say that you are owed a pun, or that you owe a punishment, when the rules say that, that you have done something wrong and so you must suffer for it, Jesus Christ let Himself be nailed to a cross because He said these people are more important to Me than your procedures. So, Jesus Christ, if we're going to be in his heart, God, just let us mirror the heart of Jesus Christ and put people over everything else. To put the gospel message over everything else. To take care of people the way that Jesus Christ would. People over procedures. Now, this is contrary to the heart of the religious elite. They they didn't like this, and so they asked him that two-sided question. They were already looking to kill him. A man who did nothing but love and heal people, And they hated him so much they wanted to kill him. And so Jesus has this amazing ability to always get out of this. They come at him again and again and again with these no-win situations and he gets out of it. And so he asked them a question. He said, okay, I'll answer your question. Who gives me authority? He said, but first you have to answer mine. Are you smart enough to outsmart me, just a a carpenter? I'm not educated in any way. And he tells them this. He said, okay, John, you guys know John? Yes, John the Baptist. We know him. Okay, John, um, is he baptizing in the name of God? Did God send him or is he just a man-made invention? Did he do it by himself? And, and the chief priests they go and they get in like a little holy huddle and they start having this discussion like like okay how are we going to answer this question what is the right answer and they had a couple of problems that they had to go through number one if they say that John is sent from God that John is a prophet there's a problem because guess what John said John said Jesus is the Messiah and so they reject John because Jesus can't be the Messiah he he doesn't look like what we want the Messiah to look like so we can't say that John came from God but then they. start start to ask themselves this. They go, well, but if we say that that John is just for man, that he's just doing this of himself, we're going to lose a lot of support of the people who think John is a prophet. A lot of people are going to hate us. And and so they come back to Jesus because he has asked them his own heads I win, tells you you lose question. And then they say, uh, we, we, we don't know. We're not really sure what's going on with John. We know who he is, but he's, you know, like stinky and doesn't shave and lives out in the wilderness. So we don't really worry about him. We don't know. But they did. They just wouldn't admit it, that, that John was from God and that he led the way for a Savior and a Messiah that didn't look like what they wanted. So our second take-home truth is this. The hard-hearted prioritize pride and people's opinion over pursuit. The hard-hearted, there's too many Ps in this, it's called alliteration, too many of them. The hard-hearted prioritize pride and people's opinions over pursuit. You see, when they discussed this, look at how they considered this. They, They considered Jesus Christ, could Jesus Christ be the Messiah? And they immediately rejected that because this goes against them. If they admit Jesus Christ is the Messiah and He teaches the way He teaches and He talks the way He talks then they're going to lose their place of prominence in the society. So that's not an option. That, that's pride. And then they consider people's opinions. Well, you know, truthfully, we don't believe John is anybody important, but we're not going to say it because people are going to get angry at us. They're going to be upset with us. They're going to really um, take away from us. When we're not going to be able to control them anymore. So they prioritize their pride and the people's opinions. But what should they have prioritized? These are the leaders, the spiritual leaders of Israel. They're the priests, they're the teachers. They have all of the knowledge of the Bible. They have all of the knowledge they think of God. How should they have responded to this question? They should have pursued God. Instead of putting emphasis on what people would think or putting emphasis on what it would do to their position, they could have have pursued God. What if they had taken time, instead of discussing how are we going to get out of this question, what if they had taken time and said, Jesus, let us pray for half an hour. Just half an hour of pursuing God and trying to ask God, God, did you send John? But they refused to do that. Because it went against their pride. What, what if they had a, went into the scriptures to give us a half an hour to see if the scripture lays out anything about this forerunner to a Messiah, somebody named John the Baptist. And they would have found prophecy after prophecy after prophecy of, of telling about Jesus Christ and the forerunner that would come before him. But they didn't pursue God. They thought first about themselves. They thought second about what people would think. And they rejected God, uh, Jesus Christ for that. Now this is a true danger for a church. When we put our own pride and our own want for people's opinions before pursuing God, it pulls us away from the job God has given us. This church doesn't exist to come to on Sunday morning. This church exists because we have a job and a mission. Jesus Christ himself told you and me to go out into all the world making disciples. That's what we exist here for. And when we get into a position where instead of pursuing God's mission, pursuing God's instructions, when we put people's opinions or we put our own selfish pride in front of it, we're not going to accomplish what we exist for. And then we are just going through the motions. How many of you have heard of Charles Spurgeon? You know who he is? Charles Spurgeon is is one of the greatest preachers. They they used to call him the Prince of Preachers. Charles Spurgeon, over a hundred years ago, had this church somewhere in Europe. I should have looked that up a little bit more. Charles Spurgeon had this church, and he was such a great preacher, and people wanted to hear him so much that they had to give away tickets. They didn't sell them, they had to give away tickets to people. And you didn't get in the church if you didn't have a ticket because there wasn't room for you. People filled the seats. You look how spread out you are. Some of you think I'm a little too close to others for comfort. They squished in next to each other, they stood around the walls, they stood in the aisles, and then people gathered around the doors of the church to hear Charles Spurgeon preach. If ever there was a man that should have been prideful about what he did, it was Charles Spurgeon. This is over a 100 years ago, closing in on 150 years since Charles Spurgeon has preached. And every week, American ministers go into the teachings of Charles Spurgeon to help them prepare for their messages. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people have been taught through Charles Spurgeon. What was his secret? What was his secret to that? Charles Spurgeon once said this. He said, while others are congratulating themselves, I have to sit humbly at the foot of the cross and marvel that I am saved at all. The reason God could use a man like Charles Spurgeon to that degree is because he rejected pride and he was eternally humble a man who was at the time a mega church pastor, he said, I can't believe that I'm even worthy of Christ. He didn't walk around thinking about how good he was. Look at all the people that came to my church. Look at all the good things I've done. He was humble. You know, the religious elite back in Jesus' day, the chief priests and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they had all the actions. They had all the knowledge. They, they had everything that it took to be a good servant of God except for one thing. They didn't have humility. And we have to look into our hearts this morning and we have to ask ourselves: are are we a church of humility that that we go out and do what God has called us to do? Are we a church that's hard-hearted? That we're okay going through the motions and we're okay doing what God, or doing just what we want to instead of what God wants to. Back to the story. Jesus neglects to tell them. He, he says, okay, you can't answer my question. The deal was, if you answer mine, I'll answer yours. He says, I'm not going to tell you by whose authority I teach. I don't owe that to you. And, and he begins to teach them once again. If you've still got your Bibles open, chapter 21, we're going to read a few more verses, 28 through 32. Okay, 28, this is Jesus speaking. He says, but what thank ye, a certain man had two sons. And he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. And he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Whether of them twain did the will of his father, they said unto him, The first, Jesus saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, The publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you, For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and you believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him. And ye, when ye had seen it, repented not afterwards, that ye might believe him. Jesus sets up what is called a parable. And parables are one of Jesus' favorite ways of teaching. For somebody who was humble and they had their heart open to God, the parables were a great example, and it just it made it so easy to understand. But to somebody who was prideful and had their heart closed, the secrets that Jesus was teaching were hid from them. And so he sets up this, this man, Father's Day, I guess this is a Father's Day sermon. He sets up this man, he says, You got two sons. And, and he, t- he pulls them both in at different times. He says, I need you to go work in the vineyard. I've got something for you to do today. And We get this picture of the first son. He comes in, his hair is a mess. He he slept in a little bit too long. His clothes are all raggedy. And dad says, go work in the vineyard. He says, I'm not going out there and working. I wouldn't do that for you. It's like most teenagers, right? Some of the parents smiling. Like most teenagers, I'm not doing that for you. There's no way I'm doing that. But later on, when he calmed down and he got over himself, he said, you know what? My dad asked me to do it and I better go because that's what I'm supposed to do. And then we have the conversation about the second son comes in. And the second son, his hair is fixed perfectly. He walks in. He greets his his father. Hi, Dad. So good to see you. You're looking good. And and Dad says, I need you to go to the vineyard and work. And he says, oh, absolutely. As a matter of fact, he says, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I will go where you call me to go. Absolutely. Dad says, that's why you're my favorite son. (laughs) You, You do everything I ask. But when the father was away, the second son, the one who appeared perfect, he decided not to go. Dad's not watching. I don't actually have to do it. I just have to appear like I did it. And dad will never know. Jesus dropped this truth on the religious leaders of the day that the tax collectors, the thieves, the prostitutes, the dirty and the unlovable of society, they're like that first son. They're messy. They're rebellious. It doesn't look like they're the good son, but at the end of the day, their heart is right. And he says, the religious elite, the chief of priests, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and maybe, just maybe, you and me. We look perfect. We act perfect. But when it comes to the truth of being humble enough to instruct and, uh, to get instruction from God, we refuse to do it. And he said, for this reason, for this reason, the harlots, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the thieves, said they're going into the kingdom of heaven before you. Third take-home truth. Jesus Christ prioritizes the brokenhearted over the hardhearted. Jesus Christ prioritizes the brokenhearted over the hardhearted. Well, when I was in school, I was about 16, and if you were a 16-year-old boy, or if you knew a 16-year-old boy, they think about one thing. Well, that came out wrong. They think about trucks a lot is what I was getting at. They think about trucks all of the time. And when I was in high school, it was nothing different. I could tell you every truck my buddy had, the motor that was in it, everything else. If you give me, to this day, a mid-90s Chevy or a mid-90s Dodge, I can put subwoofers and amp and a new radio in it in less than half an hour. We thought about trucks all of the time. And one of my buddies, he was really blessed. He had two different trucks. And one of them was a, uh, it was a mid-90s Ford. It was light blue and it was actually the high end. It had like the step sides on it, you guys remember that? It was, in its day, it was a really nice truck. And he had that, Uh, his parents had bought it for him and they were so proud they provided him a good truck. One of the nicest trucks out of all of us. But he also had this old 1977 beat-up Dodge Power Wagon. The seats were ripped up. As a matter of fact, sometimes when we rode in the Power Wagon, we took the seats out and we sat on five-gallon buckets. It had a dent in the front bumper where his little brother had drove it around a field and ran it into a tree or a stump or something. It had dents all over it. And he had paid, get this, $10 for this old truck to drag it out of somebody's field. And I'll never forget, I was over there visiting him, and his dad was so proud about the blue Ford truck. didn't have a scratch on it. It was so perfect. He said, hey, what do you think? about that truck we got john i said oh yeah that's that's a nice truck i said but i really i'd like the brown one better and would you like to guess which one we drove around more in it was the old, raggedy, beat-up brown one. And the reason for it is, is we could see the potential in that. The blue truck was as good as it was ever going to get. It was perfect. It didn't have a scratch. It was, it doesn't matter it was two-wheel drive. It, that's just what it was going to be. But the brown truck, we would sit and talk for hours. One of these days, I'm going to put a new floor in this truck where you don't see the ground while you're driving. Well, one of these days, I'm going to get some new fenders and put it, and we'll get rid of those dents. One of these days, I'm going to find a new bumper. One of these days, this truck's going to be a new paint job. It's going to run, and it's going to be an awesome truck. And it was our favorite truck, not because of what it was, but because of the potential of what it could be. It had things that could be fixed. And I think Jesus Christ looks at you and me the same way. He didn't come here looking for perfect people. He didn't come here looking for people who never mess up. He didn't come here looking for the hard-hearted. He's looking for the bruised, the broken, the dented, the dirty, the ugly, the missing, the seats, and the rusty floorboards because he has a plan to transform and to change if we will see those same things in ourselves and be willing to let him do that. See, Jesus came and he said this. He said, it's not the healthy who needs a doctor. It's the sick. He said, and I came to save sinners, not the righteous. And we have to ask ourselves, when we come to church, if I could have the musicians, please. When we come to the church, is it us that are, or are we the same people we were when we first came to Christ? Broken hearted sinners that come here and like Charles Spurgeon, we say, I can't believe that I'm saved at all. Or if we become like the religious elites, we have the answers and we do everything the right way. We know everything we should do, but our hearts are cold. We have a mission that God has given us, but he can't use us if we're not humble. And he can't use us if we go through the motions. So the entire point of this message, it's not on the screen, but here it is, is that we as a church and we as individuals, we have to pursue God. If we truly, every day, want to work for Him, we have to pursue Him as individuals and pursue Him as a church. And this is your opportunity to do that this morning. This is our invitation time. I'm going to ask you to pursue God in your heart and ask, Am I hard-hearted, God? Or do I walk in the humility and the broken that you ask of me?